Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey there. I'm Amy Walter, co-host of The Takeaway. In the Politics Brief podcast, you'll hear the best segments from all the different WNYC shows covering the 2018 elections. It's the sharpest, most timely talk, analysis, and original reporting from shows like On the Media, The Brian Lehrer Show, and of course, The Takeaway. Also, from the WNYC newsroom, which is tracking key races in New York and New Jersey. The stakes are high, and we want you to have the information you need. It's what we do. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC. When we first began learning of Russian interference in the 2016 election, which seemed absolutely mind-boggling at the time, something that just couldn't happen, it was often said that Russia had hacked the election. We quickly learned a more specific, more accurate way of putting it. Russia had influenced the election by manipulating political messages on Facebook and so on. But they hadn't exactly gone into election computer systems and altered the results. Not exactly. Now, if foreign agents could actually change the outcome of an election, that would be, and you can't say this lightly, an existential threat to American democracy. But what we've learned since 2016 is if somebody really did want to hack the election, it wouldn't be impossible. Not at all. Sue Halpern has been writing for The New Yorker about election security, and what she's found should scare us all. Logan Lamb is a security researcher in Georgia. I'm generally a curious guy. I enjoy the poking around part. I like to do that in my free time. In August 2016, at the height of the presidential election, we started poking around the Kennesaw State University's Center for Election Systems, which ran all the elections in Georgia. uh, In the course of doing that, I did a very, very simple Google search. Um, I said... For the site elections.kennesaw.edu, Google, please give me all of the PDF documents on this website. And generally, that turns up reports or public presentations. And this, this particular search didn't turn that up. Instead, I found a very curious link, and I was presented with a very long list of what appeared to be uh, voter names and some sort of identifier next to their name. And I immediately thought, wow, that that seems a little strange. And then he crafted a simple program to download what was publicly accessible from the Georgia election website. And what he found in all of that data astonished him. These documents contained supervisor passwords to be used on election day. Uh, There were also Windows programs that are placed on electronic poll books. You don't need to be a cybersecurity expert to know that supervisor passwords should absolutely not be sitting around online unprotected. Immediately, I thought to myself, wow, this this doesn't look like the sort of data they would uh, purposefully put on this web server. In total, Lamb downloaded 15 gigabytes worth of data from the Center for Election Systems. This by itself would be a huge story, but on top of it, Lamb also found a security hole through which he could download the entire database of the state's 6.7 million registered voters. I had access to their full name, their address, birth date, last four digits of their social security number, and their driver's license number. And, and there were also Jim's databases. And Jim's databases are used by the Jim uh, server, which is the central tabulator, which does the final vote count. If Logan Lamb had been a bad guy, this would have been a bonanza. 
the scariest scenario I can think of would be an attacker implanting malware on the programs that are placed on the electronic poll books or altering the voter registration databases to disenfranchise voters. An attacker could have compromised that web server and used it as a beachhead to get deeper into the Center for Election Systems networks. This is right around the same time that the Georgia Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, rejected an offer from the Department of Homeland Security to help the state harden the election system to protect it from hackers. Because Kemp said that the system was secure the way it was and that the state didn't want any help from the federal government. It wasn't until March of 2017, so seven months after Lamb's initial finding, that the system was finally patched. Then more information started to trickle out. The Intercept published the NSA report that had been hacked about Russian cyber attacks on election systems in the lead up to 2017. Uh, And later, the Mueller indictment found that the Russian hackers had looked for vulnerabilities to election servers in a number of states, including Georgia. Look, we have no idea if the Russians made alterations to Georgia's election systems in 2016. And if they did, we probably wouldn't know. But this is a critical moment. We know that foreign actors are interested in our election system just as we head into the midterms. A few months ago, the director of national intelligence said the warning lights are blinking red. Some states took this seriously, but others seem to have left themselves wide open. We're in a new world now. We need. We understand the states need to run elections. That's their authority, but they're not cybersecurity experts. Susan Greenhall is the policy director of the National Election Defense Coalition. So, you know, you and I met at DEFCON where people were hacking lots of election machines left and right. Um, so I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more or, about some of the problems in Georgia Um, with their machinery and perhaps even elsewhere since the same machines are used uh, across the country? Sure. The the machines used in Georgia are computerized touchscreen voting machines. Georgia is one of five states that entirely has machines that don't have a paper ballot. Then there's also other machines which count paper ballots. Those are also computers. And those machines can be hacked and have digital records changed within them. And that's why having the paper ballot is so crucial because it's that link to what the voter got to see and say, that's how I voted, and to be sure that that's what's counted correctly. Election security folks uh, on the ground and people who are the vendors of these machines insist that they're not really hackable because they're not connected to the Internet And I wonder if you just explain why it is that there's this discrepancy in in, um, the explanation for the safety of these machines. While many of the machines that you and I might interact with on Election Day at our polling location, whether it's a touchscreen voting machine or an optical scanner, um, may not be connected to the Internet, it has to get programming information from another machine, which is essentially desktop or regular laptop computer, that program, here are the candidates, here are the races, here's how the ballot should lay out. That information has to go from that computer to the voting machine that's in the polling location by some sort of removable media. And it's well known that if the device 
that is doing the programming gets infected with malicious software, it can be transferred to the individual voting machines. But furthermore, there's another fact that debunks that assertion, which is that many of these machines that are in the polling location are equipped with wireless modems to transmit their election results back to the county headquarters on election night. And those wireless modems go over uh, cellular networks, and those cellular networks are part of the Internet. We spend a lot of time talking about hacking voting machines or hacking vote tallies. But there's this new way of hacking an election. And it has to do with the new restrictive voter ID laws in states like Ohio, North Carolina, and Georgia that purge voters from the voting rolls who haven't voted in previous elections or whose names don't precisely match the name on the voter registration database. Personally, this has been a concern for me because uh, on Election Day in 2016, people were showing up to vote in Durham County, North Carolina, and um, their names weren't on the voter rolls. Or they, they, In Durham County, they use electronic poll books. And people were showing up and they were being told you're at the wrong polling location or you've already voted during early voting or you already voted absentee or your name isn't here, or your address has been changed. The vendor for the electronic poll books was a vendor named VR Systems. Now, VR Systems had been targeted by a Russian intelligence spear phishing attack, and um, the State Board of Elections did their own investigation, uh, as did the county. The county report has been made public. It wasn't very in-depth. It didn't consider a cyber attack um, and concluded that it was poll worker error malfunctions. But I think that's an open question as to what happened in North Carolina on Election Day. We heard earlier in the year that uh, $380 million was being released to the states uh, for election security Uh, Can you talk about that? Like, is that going to make a big difference in the midterms in 2020 at all? So there was $380 million um, was appropriated uh, under the Help America Vote Act from 2002. So there were no specific security strings put on it. You have to do this or you have to do that with the money. And there's uh, a lot of states are using that money to good effect to try to bulk up their security profile. Um, But it would be really useful to have some federal legislation to move the states to those remedies that we know are so essential to securing our elections. Are you worried about the kind of legitimacy of of our election system and even, you know, broader than that, our democracy? I worry that people will try to undermine the the credibility of it. Um, and the best way to to counter that is if we have systems that produce evidence of the election results, which is accomplished with paper ballots and uh, doing a post-election audit. There's a term for evidence-based elections, and that's what we want to see, evidence-based elections. So the Trump administration has made it clear that they're actively not interested in a legislative fix, and the midterms are just a few weeks away. 
So the states are basically on their own. And it's hard to imagine election officials actually having a line of defense against cyber attacks by Russian intelligence agents or other malicious actors. But if we don't do something about this as a country, we're putting our democracy at risk. Sue Halpern is a contributor to The New Yorker, and she spoke with Susan Greenhall of the National Election Defense Coalition and with Logan Lamb, a cybersecurity researcher. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.